Hey, 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 what's up, everybody? This is Lindsay Lerner, and you're listening to The Cost of the Status Quo. More people than ever are questioning why they do what they do and forging their own path. And on this show, I sit down with these entrepreneurs, trailblazers, creatives, and overall awesome beings to discuss the ideas, the opportunities, and the overall tips and tricks they're using so that the rest of us can do the same. This is The Cost of the Status Quo. Today, we're here with Tracy Sweeney, a badass who's here to disrupt preconceived notions about aging through mentoring, coaching, and setting an example. Today, Tracy is here to share a bit about her story and the habits and plans that she's created for herself along the way. Listeners, thank you so much for listening. It would mean the world to me if you subscribed, rated, and reviewed this. So let's dive in with Tracy. Welcome, Tracy. Thank you so much for making the time to be here. Oh my gosh. Thank you, Lindsay. I love, I always love talking with you. This is going to be fun. Absolutely. Without a doubt. So we'll dive on in where we always start at the beginning. Where the heck did you grow up? I grew up all over the country. Started out in Oberlin, Ohio. I was born when my dad was in college up there. Between then and now, have had some formative years in California and Illinois. 10 months in North Carolina. That was enough. <laughs> I've lived in Rhode Island. I had an internship, a newspaper editing internship when I was a junior at the Providence Journal, and they asked me to come back when I graduated. Did you go to school in Rhode Island? I went to school at Indiana University, big state school, far enough away from home, but not too far. Were there any sort of expectations of what you were going to be or what you were going to do when you quote unquote grew up? No, there was no expectation. My in fact, I told my mom and dad that I was going to Indiana University to be to go into broadcasting, actually. And I realized once I got there, I wanted to do journalism. This is like 50 years ago when journalism was different. <laughs> I was the first to go to college. Well, my, I was, I'm the oldest of four girls, and there was no expectation. There was no criticism of what I did. This is what I'm going to do, and I'm going to do it. And I did. Was there anything that gave you that confidence at that time? When I was in high school, there was this thing called speech team. Okay. And there were categories in speech. In the, there was dramatic interpretation and poetry reading and duet acting, and you could act out a scene. One of the categories, and this is in Illinois, so... All the high, high schools throughout Illinois had these speech teams. And one of the things that I participated in and did well in was this thing called radio broadcasting. And he put together a, a five-minute broadcast out of it. I, I would go over to this local radio station and I'd pull off their headlines that they get and I would make a newscast. And I did okay in that. And I really liked it. That's awesome. Well, having the, the space and the ability to be able to explore what you're interested in, what a gem that is. I think every teenager should have that kind of high school experience. And I know that that's not the case. I imagine in mo many schools nowadays, that kind of extracurricular activity, whether it's writing for a high school paper or theater or music, or I suspect a lot of that has gone by the wayside as, as budgets. Totally. So without any sort of pressure from family or from friends, was that a conscious 
knowledge that you had of I can do whatever I want? What was that experience like? I feel like now there's so much societal pressure to do a certain thing and to be a certain way. And obviously, that's a lot of what we talk about on this podcast in particular. So it's interesting that you had the antithesis of that experience and a little bit more freedom. But if you didn't know that it was freedom, then perhaps it didn't matter. I think I was very eager because of stuff that happened growing up. I was very eager to get out of the house and make my own way to be the antithesis of certain family members. And I was out of the house and going to do it my own way. And I did. The messages I did get, though, were there was the expectation that I would climb a corporate ladder. That was the model that I saw. That was the expectation that I put on me. And my dad said something. I think I was in my 20s, maybe my late 20s, early 30s. And my dad said something like, you should be earning $10,000 for every decade that you are. So I had the expectation that if I was in my 30s, I would be making at least 30K. To do that required me to keep it career-wise first in newspapers and then in when I went to the dark side and <laughs> went to public relations and media relations, I kept needing to, to validate my abilities. I felt, well, I needed to get promoted. I needed to become this. I needed to become an assistant director, an associate, just that whole corporate lingo that almost defined my success for me to the point where when I was managing a team of people, I was told that I was very, very good at it. And I didn't like it. Because when you're managing a bunch of people, you're not doing the thing that you like to do. I liked to write. I liked to edit. I, there were things that I wanted to do and I didn't get to do it. I coached other people to do what I loved. Okay. And then was this when you were at the Providence Journal and you were managing a team of people? At the time, I really liked the newspaper business. It was a big newspaper at the time, an award-winning newspaper at the time. I worked crazy hours. I loved being in the thick of things. I loved the adrenaline. Every night you had seven deadlines. You're creating something I felt of value. Were there certain things that writing and editing did either to you or for you to really shift your perspective? So there were times when I was my work for the evening was to read through hundreds of stories that were coming in from around the world and decide which ones were going to be in the paper. It's like opening a bag of shit and sticking your head in it every night. <laughs> it made me fr uh, fearful. Like, oh my gosh, buses fell off of the sides of Roads in India. I'm never going to India. You know? <laughs> or, or plane crash or some disease breaks out. In, it was fine when I was single. It was fine when I was had no kids. But the minute I had kids, the world felt very dangerous. So yeah. That's so interesting. That's so interesting. And so you spend quite some time, a decade plus, as a writer and an editor being in the news news world, news space. And then what was that transition like for you to go from that world into what you mentioned earlier, the depths of, of public relations? The blessing was I went into public relations for uh, higher education. 
I wasn't doing PR for toothpaste. I was working with really cool people, doing thinking and doing really cool things, discovering things and, and, and writing about research, which I felt contributed to the greater good. It wasn't focused on admission. At first, it wasn't focused on marketing. It was just sharing with the wider world some of these really interesting people who are thinking really interesting things and doing really interesting stuff. Man, it's it's like rubbing elbows with cool people like that. That was great. That does sound great. Were there, <laughs> was, there an, was there an intentional jump in that career switch when you went from being in the newsroom to the PR world? Was that intentional or? Well, I, I had kids. They change everything, huh? Yeah. <laughs> when you, when you, work in a daily newspaper, especially one that comes out in the morning, your day starts at 2 p.m. and maybe ends at 2 a.m. Part of it was was I wanted to see my kids. When you work in a paper that comes out seven days a week, you might be scheduled to work Saturdays, Sundays, Christmas, Memorial Day. It's like it's hard to have a normal life and be with people who are not journalists, who are living normal hours. So there there was that change. And it, that was a, a desired change. There was a cross-country move involved between the shift. When I, I left the Providence Journal, I moved cross-country to work at a newspaper in the Bay Area in California. 18 months later, my husband and I decided that was the biggest mistake we ever made was moving. But it was the best thing we ever did because it helped us discover what we needed as for our lives and where we wanted to go. So 18 months later, we moved back. Sadly, it was in the middle of a recession and there were no newspaper jobs. But I went to my newspaper buddies and I said, ah, what do I do? And they said, well, you know, all these colleges and universities in the area need communicators. And so that's how I landed on the other side. It was thanks to my newspaper buddies, but it also meant that when I had a good, cool, meaty, juicy piece of, of research or a, a book that was written by a faculty member, I could pick up the phone to my newspaper buddies and say, no, this is real. This is good. I'm not feeding you. You know, I'm, I'm not blowing smoke up your ass. This is, this is a good one. The status quo really is to pick a job, stay in a job and keep it moving into your point, climb up that that corporate ladder or some sort of hierarchy. And I think what's interesting is your point is that intersectionality. How do you take these skills and the resources and the knowledge and the relationships, I think most importantly, from one career? And then how do you migrate that into the next career and the next career and the next career and this different evolution over time? Absolutely. And it's and that's something that I needed to learn as I grew in my career and my responsibilities in PR, I got to hire some people. 10 to 15 years ago, when I was looking at resumes of, of people in their 30s who were applying for jobs, there's not a ladder that they've gone up. It's more of a, a monkey bar here or a trapeze and then here and then here. And I had to change my mindset because the way that that things were for me, you stayed in one place. I don't think that's standard anymore. I mean, my, my grandparents, my, my, both my grandpas worked for the same company 
from the time they were 21 till the time they were kicked out at 65. Writing, journalism, we hop into PR, we do that for a while. And then eventually, over time, retirement comes around, slowly but surely, or whatever retirement is to you, because that's not most people's definition of (laughs) retirement, (laughs) in my experience. And so what has that looked like for you? What sort of projects? Was there a certain plan that you had post working in academia PR? I had an escape plan. The reason I knew I needed one was because the work had changed. The nature of the work had changed of what I was doing, and it wasn't as fun for me. So I could stay for 10 years doing something that wasn't fun for me, you know, wait for healthcare to be covered by Medicare. And that's not me. For me, when I turned 50, 50 was life changing. I was depressed. I was like, is this all there is? Is this what life is going to be like for the last half of my life? Because if it is, I don't know that I want to hang around feeling like this. And and this, I come to discover that this is, for many women, this is a, like a come to Jesus moment. It's, it's when you are in menopause, just about everything in your body has shifted. The body you think you don't knew everything's different. You think you're going crazy, but you're not. You're actually, you're coming to grips with the fact that you may not be where you thought you were going to be. Here you have the last third of your life to make changes and the heavy weight that you've been carrying, the stuff that you've been slogging along and you thought you had to live with. It was like, you know what? No, fuck this. I want to do X, Y, and Z. You get, it's an opportunity to reorient yourself. There is power in that moment of reconnecting to your true self, rediscovering your true self, dropping the baggage that you have voluntarily or didn't even know you were carrying. There's some deep work that can go on. And that's when I said, I need an escape plan. When I was a kid, I wanted to be in the Olympics. I loved moving my body. I liked going fast. I liked being strong. And for all kinds of reasons, that desire got tucked away, filed away, and hidden. And there was a moment, it's my Wonder Woman moment. So I started to lift weights. I mean, okay. 60 plus year old woman lifting heavy shit. I loved it. I loved it. And it changed my mind and it changed my emotions. And I then I thought, I want every woman in her 50s and 60s to feel this way, like power. Because we're all told older women are invisible, only if you let yourself be invisible. When you had this Wonder Woman moment, or even before that, perhaps, what was the catalyst for that that recognition of things are changing, this is weird, this isn't it moment where you started to reconnect? And do you have any, whether it's 
tips, tricks, habits that you started to build to allow yourself and give yourself, I think what I'm hearing is that permission to be able to dig into those things. Like you said, you had tucked away. Yeah. My kids had all, I had an empty nest. My children were out of the house. I went to see a therapist and I said, I I remember this conversation distinctly. I said, when's it my turn? And my smart therapist said, when you decide it is. When you decide it's your turn. Oh. (laughs) And there was a lot of sitting and thinking, learning how to sit with discomfort. That's when I thought, okay, I need an escape plan because part of the discomfort was my reliance on my nine to five job with benefits and the coming to the awareness that this wasn't it. Absolutely. And so you get into lifting, training, becoming an Olympian. (laughs) So maybe a master's master's level (laughs) competitor, maybe. (laughs) Absolutely. When lifting and getting into building strength and that sort of training, were there any stereotypes like you alluded to before that you've had to navigate through and or around? There are all kinds of stereotypes. I'm going to hurt myself. I don't know how to use these. I feel weird in a gym. So those are those are things that a lot of women whose body shapes might be different, who maybe ne- have never stepped foot in a gym because they were disinclined for all kinds of reasons, because the culture of a strong woman is not necessarily Necessarily there for women who grew up at the same time that I grew up. Toning. They just want to tone. Or it's all about, it's all about a certain look. I don't look like I belong in a gym. Everybody belongs in a gym. Okay. So and so uh, well, you've got gray hair. You want me to help you re-rack your 10-pound weights? Are you okay, honey? It goes many ways. But Helping women understand that perhaps the best thing they can do for healthy aging is lifting heavy shit, which means heavy iron stuff. It's what you need to be healthy in your 80s. But many women are afraid of lifting heavy things because they think they're going to look bulky. It is nearly impossible for a woman to look look bulky without taking steroids. It's, we're just, it's not there. So yes, all kinds of uh, preconceived notions about who belongs in a gym and, and not. So I like surprising people. <laughs> Look at that old lady lifting, bench pressing 110 pounds over there. Damn Look right you are. <laughs> I am. Damn right you are. It's impressive as hell. And so now with this newfound strength and this confidence and empowerment of the escape plan that you you routed out for yourself. What are you up to now? I coach women 40 and older who are going through menopause to help them. Nobody, when I was growing up, nobody talked about menopause. You know, you had your kids. The expectation was you had your kids and then they grew up and you just kind of then you became a grandmother. I mean, you know, it's like, that's, that's not necessarily the path that everybody wants. So 
I try to help bring the positive aspects of menopause to light. I tell people that menopause is like a marathon. To be accurate, it's perimenopause. It's the lead up to menopause. Menopause is when you no longer have a period. The transition generally takes 10 years. It's a marathon. Marathons are hard. You want to give up. But God damn it, that feeling when you cross the finish line, you are unstoppable. And so I help coach women through that experience with health, tiny habits, mind change. So I, I have a website called the Academy of Aging. And I have a newsletter affiliated with the website. And I don't work with a lot of people, but the people I work with, I just adore the process. I love that. And you get to bring back the writing and the editing. Yes. Well, and, and that's exactly it. I, 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 there's a lot of science going on in this area. By the year 2035, 1.2 billion people will be in menopause around the world. That's a lot of people. People who are in business see that cohort as, as financial opportunity. And that's all well and good. I see that number of people. Can you imagine 1.2 billion people who have been empowered to speak up, to lead instead of be quiet and regress into the shadows, to not be overlooked? There's, there's this, it's called the grandmother theory. You don't have to be a grandmother for it. Orcas, increasingly it looks like elephants, and giraffes, the oldest females in the group are the leaders. Their knowledge is passed on to younger generations so that they know where to go when times are tough, where to get the food, where the shelter is. It's these matriarchs of the society that are protecting the community. I would say that this 1.2 billion people who, if they all discover their power, we will change the status quo of things right now. What are some of the things that you wish you had known earlier about menopause that you can share with the listeners? A lot of people think that life ends because you can no longer reproduce, so you're not valuable. That's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Truly, it's it's not an end. It's not an ending. It's an initiation into the next phase of life. There's a book out there. It's called The Upgrade, and it's about changes that happen in the brain. It's an upgrade. You think differently. That you got old and feeble. Because when I look at my grandmothers at age 65, they were almost dead. They were. So that was my preconceived notion of what being 65 was. I have no intention. I want to travel and climb and lift. And I want to be doing this. What am I? I'm 66 now. I've got 20, 25 really powerful years in front of me. Uh, so I'm trying to write a memoir, 
but specifically about aging and my experience of being depressed in my 40s, rediscovering my my mission and purpose in my 50s and, and then on, I schedule 30 minutes of writing every day. Before we wrap up, we do ask every single guest that we've had on two questions. What is the worst piece of advice that you've ever gotten? And then, of course, to end it, presumably on a high note, what is the best piece of advice that you've ever gotten? The worst piece of advice is you should have a flatter stomach. That was told to me in my 20s, and I let that sit with me for way too long. Worst piece of advice was somebody telling me what my body should look like. So that seems really petty, but yeah, yeah. Um, And the best piece of advice that I ever received is it's okay to say, I don't know, because I want to know. One of the reasons I like journalism, I love being among the earliest to know this stuff. And I'm working on something. You're not going to know it till tomorrow morning. That was in the old days before the internet. But to, to sit with, to learn how to sit with the unknown and be okay with that and to say, I don't know, but let's go find out. That's the best piece of advice I got. We need a lot more of that. <sighs> Thank you so much for sharing your story with me today. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to The Cost of the Status Quo and learning the wisdom, stories, and ideas that will have you feeling inspired and ready to take on the world. If you've enjoyed this, please remember to share, rate, and review. It means the world to me and the team putting it all together. If you're looking for more information, you can find us at costofthestatusquo.com or on Instagram at costofthestatusquo. If you've got any questions or curiosity about me, you can find me at lindsaylearner.com. That's L-I-N-D-S-E-Y-L-E-R-N-E-R.com or on Instagram at lindsaylearner. Thanks again for listening. Hope you have an awesome day.